Hi, and welcome to Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you all the best from the business. My name is Sander Deer, and this podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Today, we'll be talking to Guido van der Garde, a former Formula One driver, about how inspection and adaptation are applied in Formula One. And I gotta say, this has been a childhood dream come true, talking to an actual Formula One driver. Let's dig in. Okay, so the Formula One is the biggest traveling circus in this world with about uh, over 470 million people tuning in to watch every race to unfold. 20 drivers, 10 teams going head to head in circuits all over the world. Um, races are quite action packed both on and off track. Could you talk us through a typical weekend? Well, for a Formula One driver, it's quite busy actually. Uh, we start um, going to the tracks. Uh, it all depends which circuit it is, because for example, when we go to Melbourne, we are already there one week before to get used to the timing. <clears throat> so uh, that you have, uh, you arrive around uh, Saturday, Sunday there, and you get uh, Monday, Tuesday, you get a bit of relaxation. And after that, on Wednesday, you go to the track, you have some meetings already with uh, with your engineer. On Thursday, you have a lot of press moments, uh, track walk, um, go to the planning, what you're going to do on Friday, because Friday starts uh, the practices and, and, and um, uh, Saturday, of course, as well, practices and then the qualifying. And then Sunday, the race. So it's quite busy. I mean, and normally when you go to a European track, uh, you fly or drive to towards the track around uh, Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday afternoon you're more or less there and on Thursday morning you're early on track and then um, yeah as I said before you start you start the weekend then how important is it to continuously improve through such a weekend and even through races even if it's on a small scale Uh, it's very important I mean as a race driver of course you need to be on top of it all the time eh? whenever you jump in the car you need to be um, ready you need to be uh, physically ready mentally ready uh, you know what you're going to do in the practices uh, free practice one free practice two free practice three is always a different program um, if you have new parts on the tra- on the car you're going to try them out um, so it's very important for for a driver and and as well for a team to know every detail of what's going to happen and what you are planning to do how is the separation for instance between you and your teammate obviously you can't be fully transparent you have your own typical game plan and how open can you be between the two? Uh, we, we, I was always quite open. I had nothing to um, um, to, to hide or something uh, because I knew, okay, you know, if if I follow my own path, uh, you know, I have a, a better knowledge of the car and I'm sure that my driving and the, no- and the knowledge of uh, what you know about the car and what you want as a driver, uh, I was always quite confident to, to beat your teammate. Um, which I did also in Formula One, of course, maybe the first half year was a bit up and down, but second half year for sure. And, um, uh, but some teammates, yeah, they, they hide a lot of things. They don't know, they don't, uh, um, even show what they have on the car setup wise, but also, um, driving wise. So it's a bit stupid what I say, because I think it's always good to share different things and to know what your teammate is doing and what you are doing. Um, yeah, not because you have a lot of tools, engine settings, engine braking, uh, you have a um, differential uh, setup. So you have so many tools on the cars to 
to fine tune it. Um, but I, if I saw, if I look back to to my Formula One days, my teammate always had a completely different philosophy than I had. Um, but towards the end, the last five races, he uh, he went towards my setup, and he find it much better. So on the other hand, yeah, it's good to as a driver, you know what you want and you know what you have on the car and that you also have, have a bit of a technical input because that that will make the difference maybe one or two tenths. Is how, or how important is it for instance in, in the overall feeling of the team if you look at for instance Lewis Hamilton mm. who is quite notorious for playing mind games and the only one who was really able to sit up against him was Nico Rosberg so yeah. far. Um, how is this, what's the impact on the overall feeling of a team? I think it's always good to have the competition um, inside the team to make sure that um, drivers are uh, pushing hard uh, to beat the other teammate, um, not only on track but also off track. Uh, I think the off track there it starts already because you know you have as a driver you have like a lot of people around you, uh, not only your engineer but also you have your data engineer, you have your engine engineer, uh, tire engineer. Um, all the mechanics, so every detail is is, is very important. And um, uh, but on the other end, you know, I think it's 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 also a thing that you have to follow your own instinct and you have to follow your own way. And of course, it's good to look at other uh, at your teammate what he's doing and especially driving wise. But just follow your own 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 way. I think that that will make the difference. Let's say. Um. To be able to start improving any any point, any aspect, or whether it's a driver or a car, you need to analyze a lot of different aspects. And these cars are rigged with mm. a million different sensors and these yeah. kind of things. Could you tell us what's what's exactly being analyzed and how do you define uh, what what what's get the investment before the next race? Well, that's good. I mean, the analyzation is huge. I mean, if you see um, all the big teams, they have. Uh, I think even 100 people on 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 uh, inside the the factory were analyzing the practices. They even have a, a test driver who is trying before all the practice or even after the old practices going back in the simulator to try different things. So um, even back at the factory, there are a lot of people working on uh, all the telemetry, um, what the car is doing, where the weak points are, where the plus points are, um, what the struggling is, what they found in free practice one or two. Um, and then they analyzing during the whole night. Then you have the sim driver trying to have different setup philosophy again so that they have everything ready again for FP3 on Saturday. So yeah, there's a huge amount of people and data and telemetry going around for the whole weekend. And, um, yeah, it's quite, quite, um, yeah, a ma massive amount of, um, how you call that? It, it's just crazy when you see that, you know, you have not only people, eh, you have 60 people on track, but then again, on also on the factory, it's like people are 24 seven busy to, to finalize and, and, and optimize uh, maybe one or two tenths. And that's uh, quite insane. It is. Yeah. Now going back to, you already men mentioned that the uh, simulator, for instance, the, the mm. test drivers, how accurate are these testing environments? I mean, looking at, for instance, Lando Norris and these mm. kind of guys, they are, Quite competitive in the in the virtual reality racing and yeah. uh, um, in the sim racing. How how much is it comparable to actual racing? Not really. I mean, um, of course, the Formula One simulators and and especially the one of the big teams. I think Ferrari has a good one. McLaren has a very good one. Um, 
Mercedes has a very good one. So uh, Red Bull has a good one. So I think those are very, very good. And, and, and they're also trying to optimize the setup in the simulator to see the validation, what's happened on the track and also what's happening in the simulator. So, but then you're speaking about 10 million of dollars or euros that they invest purely in the simulator. Um, but still the feeling you never can get, even if you have a home simulator with a good steering wheel and good pedals and you don't feel the G-force, you don't feel what's happening inside the car and, and uh, the, the, the way amount of how, how hard you brake and uh, the, the acceleration. You don't feel that because uh, it's just a screen and, uh, you know, the young kids, they, they, they were already well, like Max and Lenlo, Lenlo, they were like 10, 12 years old when they started already in the simulator, driving, driving, driving and doing laps a lot. Um, my age, uh, I mean, I was uh, 24 or 23 when I first did the simulator. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm not so good in it. Um, of course, we did some races together and those uh, small buses, they, uh, they won. It's and, a different uh, time. And uh, yeah, and, and, and every time it's, it's between five tenths and eight tenths that I'm off. And I don't know how, I don't know how it's possible. But then, for example, when you go to a real track, I mean, even I, I, I help a young kid also very quick on the simulator. But when you start to go testing with him alone on track, I'm still two tenths with two, two to three tenths quicker. So it's different um, uh, age and a different uh, period of time. But uh, if you see now, I think the, 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 the whole thing with the simulator is getting better and better, especially for the Formula One teams. Yeah, so the investment starts to pay off more and more. Uh, the more it gets invested into. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, McLaren started it in, I think it was 2002, 2004. They started for the first time with the simulator. I think they spent around 20, 25 million or something. Just purely on simulator. It's, it's crazy, but you know, the, the, the thing is also with Formula One these days, you have not a lot of testing you could do. I mean, in the 90s, that you could test every week. Every thing, you have new parts, new engines, new whatever. And nowadays you just have the races and you have like maybe a 10 days during the whole year of testing, which is nothing. That's why they, they, they said, look, we're going to find and, and, and make a good simulator. So the drivers can continue to work. The test drivers can continue to work and we can optimize the whole car, but also the drivers, they can keep sharp. And that's maybe the tough thing because you don't have the, um, the feeling as when you're jumping in a real car. But it's just a good thing, you know, you're busy with the steering wheel, you're uh, throttling, braking, which is quite good. So it keeps you sharp. Um, and I think also it's good for the team that uh, that they can find different things with a new update or uh, with, when is there's a new floor coming with a lot of uh, extra downforce. They can first put it on the simulator. If it works, okay, maybe they can make it then they can uh, produce it and then they put it to the track and see what's happening really. So I think it's a good tool. And com uh, comparing this to uh, world endurance racing where you're a current driver in, mm. how is this in there? How different is it? Completely different. I mean, uh, we just have a simulator. I actually have a simulator home. Uh, the, ra the guy I race with, with Fritz van Eert, he has a simulator home. So the only thing what we do is like a preparation. Yeah, for example, uh, two years ago, we first had to go to Fuji, never been there. He was never there. So we do uh, like two, three days. Uh, in the evening, around three, four hours, we do a couple of laps there. We know what gears it is, where the brake points are, how fast the high speed corners are. And, you know, you get a rhythm with the track and you know how when the, the first turn is to the right and the second turn is to the left, you know exactly where everything is, which is good. So that's more preparation too for every weekend. 
And in our category, you just have the car. We cannot develop the car. So it is as, as it is. The only thing you can have to optimize the setup. Now that's also uh, what kind of team you have, what engineer you have, what the data engineer you have, what input you have from the drivers. And that I think is a very important um, combination as, as also as well as if you are a driver that you give a very good feedback because if you have a trouble with either oversteer or understeer or the car is completely out of balance, you can tell them, you have to explain them exactly what the problem is and then they can fix it. And that's also a bit of what's happening in Formula One because, but even though I think as a Formula One driver, you have much more tools to play with. So you, your knowledge much more as a, as a normal race driver, let's say. Yeah, exactly. So just to, just to grasp the size of this, Formula One is a, a team, is a full company. Like mm. um, Within such a company, how many teams are working on this, whether it's it's the pit crew or the analytics or strategy, or how many teams are, are working on ultimately to strive for that goal to win the championship? Uh, a lot. I mean, Formula One, you have, of course, uh, what is it, 10 teams. Um, in every team, I think it all depends of uh, the structure, how they build it. But if you look at Ferrari, I think there are already uh, five to 600 people employed. Um, Mercedes is 500, 600 people employed. Um, so it's a lot of people. Fortunately, not all people can go to the track. It's only allowed to have 60 people on track. Um, so it's like around 30 people per car. Um, and you have around 10, 12 mechanics. Uh, you have a lot of data guys around you as a team of five. And then of course you have uh, the guys who are uh, doing the, 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 the pit stops, uh, the truckies, the, the guys who are cleaning, the tire guys. So it's, yeah, you have, it, it, it's, um, it's quite a lot of people on track, but also off track. <laughs> Even though if you look at the, uh, it's only just for two to three drivers. So it's a bit crazy. But um, yeah, I think it's it's they make they make quite a good business out of it, and of course, you know, next year not not next year but the year after they're gonna have a new rule change with money wise and how they put the structure. So I think a lot of things gonna happen then. How do you feel about the budget capping, for instance? I think it's good. I think it's good because you know the small teams they, they you see now that they're struggling to to catch up. Um, <clears throat> The big teams, they have a lot of money, so the, 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 the development is much higher and bigger. Uh, I think it's good that they have the budget cap. It's good that they have the new rule change in 2022. So, um, yeah, I look forward to it. I think uh, it, it hopefully will shake up uh, things. Uh, I think that the teams who are clever and who find everything uh, good in the book and they, they find a good basic car which is handleable uh, well it can change quite a lot maybe for instance uh, that that williams uh, finally has a secret found in uh, in the rule book and it's a, a gray area but they they are have a they have a good car they hopefully can start uh, winning races and uh, you never know so it, i think it's a good good choice what they're doing now i'm looking forward to seeing williams back on top again yeah. this, this is just sad to see um now on average there are every Two weeks there is a race, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've identified what part you're going to improve, whether that's the driver aspect or anything physically in the car. Uh, what happens next? It's tough. It's tough because um, as a driver, as I said before, you know, you you always get a report after the after the weekend, um, 
uh, some weekends you have been doing really well, some weekends you've been struggling. It depends also uh, which tracks, uh, where you're going, uh, what happened in the race, uh, were you good with the tires, uh, did the pit stop go wrong? So it's good to have either your report from the team and uh, your own report sent to the team. So people know exactly what's going on and uh, what, what, what's happening. Um, from there on, uh, it's always good to um, uh, uh, tell them what's, what's wrong with the car, to have a good analyzing uh, report of what's going wrong and what's going well. So for the next race, it's always good to have an improvement here or there. Uh, during the year, the teams always bring uh, three to four updates. So first race, you have like a big update. Uh, after four or five races, you have a big update. And the update I mean is like, yeah, they have a wind tunnel inside the factory. Uh, they have a lot of people working on the technical drawings. They make an update of the car, which means maybe a new floor or maybe a new rear wing, new front wing, um, some, uh, some end plates, uh, whatever. So all the updates which is coming normally should have been uh, one to two, five tenths difference or better hopefully but sometimes eh, what they could find in the wind tunnel it happened to me with a new front wing suddenly you put it on on track and it was not working well because the the airflow somehow the front wing towards the the rear wing or the the the, the side pots were not going well uh, the whole floor was uh, stalling so the whole car was out of balance so it it, it is sometimes eh, whatever they find in factory it also sometimes not working on track so then, yeah, it's important to have this collaboration between track and wind tunnel. Uh, that's the most important thing. And I think, um, yeah, as you see the couple of the last couple of years, what Mercedes has been doing, every update they bring, the car is better. So their collaboration, collaboration is very, very good between track and wind tunnel. And I think they are completely on top of that. No, I think they find this silver bullet in their teamwork compared to other teams. Is there, there, they're a league of their own. The only one yeah. actually bringing competition to them is Max yeah. at this moment. Um, now, I think you touched upon a very important topic there as well. Is to You have this hypothesis, like the wind tunnel says we're going to have X tens more. Mm. How do you define uh, the discrepancy between wind tunnel and actually on-track use? So how do you define your hypothesis, how it's going to work? And how do you measure it? Wow, that's all... Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an engineer, but uh, I know the whole structure how it works a bit. Um, but I think the thing is that uh, first they have a drawing inside the, the computer. From the drawing, it goes to a, a small miniature to see in the winter it works. Then it goes to a bigger part to see it, if it works in the winter, no? to see if the airflow is, is is good, to see if 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 it brings more points. They call it in Formula One points, a point of downforce. And normally if they have a number like uh, 10 to 50, which is quite a lot, it's between one to five tenths. If they find something on the wind tunnel, then still it needs to go to the track. And if it goes to the track, eh, they have to uh, make the, the front wing or whatever they have a new part on, bring it. And as I said before, sometimes it, it, it completely works and sometimes it doesn't work at all. So it's, it's, it's a tough, tough thing. And it's not easy because, you know, you have a lot of people in the factory looking at it. But on the other hand, I think it's important to have, um, first of all, very good people that they have the understanding what's going on, how it works, why the, 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 the new front wing is not working on track, what the issue is, and then they have to try to solve it. And yeah, as I said before, I think there are just a couple of teams who are really understanding it 
how it works correctly. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a tool that that um, that you need to use it, and if you use it in the right way, you have the best car. Now, for instance, looking at Ferrari, they used to have a really competitive car, and they seem to have figured everything out. Um, but recent years, they're dropping back more and more. You would yeah. say, if if I hear you correctly, if once you figured it out, then this goes for the seasons afterwards as well. Yeah, what's going on there? Yeah, <laughs> a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I think to be honest, I think the the, the first of all, the engine is uh, uh, turned down a lot because they were uh, doing some stuff which was not correct way, and I think they lost a lot of uh, power with that. Um, second of all, I think from the beginning on, because they had such a good engine, they put on more downforce on the car, uh, which to compensate in the corners, and they still had the the the, the quick straight line speed. But um, yeah, I think on one stage like last year they were very very good. But now because the engine is not running well, they have to put downforce off to to uh, to be quick on the straights, uh, or at least follow the others, and then they lose again on the on the on the corners. Plus they have a lot of drag on the car, so they even lose more on the straight line speed. So whatever they they have been doing the last one and a half years, two years is completely uh, bad. And um, yeah, I think they should they should work on on the problems they have. I think they know it. Um, I think they have good people inside the team. Uh, but it's just at the moment, you know, it's it's not uh, going the right way for them. And uh, um, sometimes it can happen. It happened before to Ferrari. For me, Ferrari should be always up there, fighting for victories, fighting for world titles. Uh, I think they have the comp- capacity. I think they have the drivers also for next year. They have especially good driver lineup. So hopefully they come back to the top. Um, next year, I think going to be tough because the rule change is going to be the same. But for sure in 2022, I think they will have a big shot um, to to fight for uh, for victories and hopefully the title again. Now looking at this, just, just this from a product perspective and this is kind of how it works with for instance IT and other aspects how do you as a competitor capitalize on their mistakes um, how do you mean as a competitor as, as Ferrari you mean or uh, let's look at you from a catering perspective you see a competitor dropping back mm. in some way how do you define whether you can capitalize on their errors like uh, now there's a quite strong midfield battle between Racing Point uh, Mercedes, uh, sorry, McLaren and, and Renault. Yeah, they will have all. They all have the ambition to finish third. But how can you really take a look into the competitors and their disadvantages, and how you can use their dev- disadvantages against them, or for your own use? Yeah, that's a bit more up to the team. I mean, inside the team, they have a lot of people analyzing also other teams, and they're analyzing uh, by by f- making pictures of the car. What the good areas are, what they have, uh, new, what kind of new updates they have. Um, if they're good on tires, if they are not good on tires. Um, so it, I think all the other teams, every team is looking to each other, and every every time when they look at they, uh, at each other, they um, see where the good points are and where the bad points are, and they take the good points and they try it also because. You know, if you see Racing Point now, it looks like a Mercedes. And, and um, I think what they did is very clever uh, because they have a very competitive car and they can fight now for podium. So 
um, yeah, I think it, it's it's always the, the the battle where it goes, and I think with this rule change we have now uh, coming up, I think it's going to be even more interesting because the last few years you know, it has always been Mercedes there and sometimes a little bit Ferrari, and uh, the area is the rule now is is, is been too long and it's always been an adventure of, of Mercedes so they have to mix things up I think that's good what they're going to do okay you use them as a driver their weaknesses on track as well like for instance knowing that uh, Ferrari now has a uh, has a weak engine on the straights yeah. which is going to leave them in an open spot can you use that as a driver on track as well like do you consciously use that saying okay I'm just going to wait because I know it's a Ferrari I'm going to wait until they're on the straight and then Overtaken there? No, no, no. I mean, uh, all, by driving is more by instinct. You know, if you're fighting with a with other driver, you're not going to think because the speed is so fast and you're not uh, you're not able to think so so long because you have no time to think. You have to, and you pass somebody, it's like a moment, boom, you pass him and up to the next one. Uh, but of course, <clears throat> before the, the the race, you look where you start and who is next to you, uh, who is in front of you, uh, who you think is going to be struggling, and and so on, and so on. But it always, you know, you always can make a plan beforehand as a driver, but it never works out. Full of adrenaline, of course. Yeah, of course, and you don't know what's happening. Maybe somebody's stalling at the start, or maybe has a trouble at the, at the fir- after four or five laps. You know, a lot of crazy things can happen. What we saw also in Monza this year, where uh, suddenly uh, Gasly won a race. You know, never, nobody would have thought that he would want a race this year. So. Amazing race, by the way. Yeah, it was a very good race. So, you know, things are always um, happening very quick and you need to be there on the moment and you need to be sharp and always um, uh, think think before or always do your own instincts. Um, and those guys, you know, all the 20 drivers, they're good drivers, so they know what they do. Now, you're just, you're not just a team in itself, you're dependent on others as well, whether yeah. it's the, the engine supplier, if you're a customer, or the brakes, or seat belts, whatever. Yeah. How are these kind of dependencies managed? How do, does a team make sure that they all get there on time, on track? And that's up to the team. I mean, uh, as a driver, you know that um, all the details need to be there. Uh, you know that you have your um, equipment there. That, that the team is organizing it. If not, your your visual is is making sure you have it. And then the all the other parts. Yeah, it's up to the team. So uh, the organization is big. Everybody has their own thing inside the team. What to do uh, if it's. Um, uh, an engine guy and, and there's coming a new engine or some new parts uh, yeah they have to make sure that it's Wednesday on track on Thursday they can fit it in or change it and um, yeah, if you have a, the, the, the tire guy which tires they have to uh, uh, allocate before the race uh, which compounds they want uh, yeah I mean the, the, that's just the whole structure of the whole company so everybody has their own job and everybody ha- knows what he's doing sounds good as a driver you're basically the customer of what the rest of the team manufactures and ultimately you're the one using their product or their improvements now going back to the idea of the hypothesis for instance the five tenths that you mentioned Mm. let's say it's not going to work out on track as you're thinking of or it's even better how do you define whether that's actually mechanical or you made the best out of it as a driver for instance Max is known uh, as maximizing the stuff 
Red Bull has given him, mm. while, for instance, uh, Albon is really struggling with the same material. Mm. So how do you define whether the improvements or uh, the down, downward spiral are uh, based on you as a driver or mm. uh, being supplied by the team? No, it's a combination. I mean, <clears throat> don't forget that uh, everybody, uh, every driver has his own privilege. Um, not only by setup, but also driving-wise, driving tools, uh, differential, uh, braking assistant, uh, braking balance. Everybody has their own way. I mean, uh, even in endurance, you have to share the car with three other drivers. But when I jump in the car, I have my own settings. When, for example, my teammate jumps in the car, he has his own settings. And you need to have it. And in Formula 1, is even more because um, as a driver, you know, some drivers, they, they, they prefer to have a very stable rear end. And um, some drivers, they, they, they hate the understeer. When the car is going uh, in front, they lose the front grip. Then, <clears throat> but it's, it's completely different. I mean, Max, I, I, don't, I, don't, I think wherever he jumps in, he will be quick. You know, even if he's understeer, oversteer, whatsoever. He doesn't mind if, if the car is loose or whatsoever. But if I look at myself, and I think also Albon has that issue as well. Albon needs to have, first of all, the confidence from the team. Second of all, he needs to have a car which is stable and, and what he can do with it. And if it's not even stable and it's a little bit sliding here and there, you see straight away that he's like five to six, seven tenths off from Max, which is huge. Uh, but I'm, <clears throat> but once he has a good car, he's maybe two to three tenths off. And that's the whole difference. And I think as a, as a driver, you should always, as I said before, you follow your own route with setup wise. With all the tools you have and and make it your own because you know everybody's different everybody needs to have their own setting everyone needs to have their own setup everyone needs to have their own people around who gives a good confidence because you know if you have a sport like formula one there's a lot of pressure a lot of things going on you need to be on top every time and only a few people can manage it if you look at lewis hamilton um, yeah He's been managing it already for many, many years. And even this year, um, uh, yeah, he's doing a very, very good job. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's um, a matter of a lot of things. So your teammate is the first competition of you. You're, yeah. you're constantly comparing yourself to your teammate. How is that? Because you have equal material. How are you able to bounce back? For instance, like a situation with Alban, how do you think he's going to be able to bounce back? Or how do you deal with that? Because I can imagine that... It will take a toll on your self-confidence. Yeah. Um, I thought after Mugello, when he had his first podium, he would be um, getting better, you know, because your first podium, you get a bit more confidence, everything is going a bit more better, the team is behind you, is happy for you, you're in a happy place. But, uh, I think it didn't even matter if he had the podium or not, because after that, it looks like was even more downwards. So it's tough. I think, yeah, there's a little pressure, what I said before, and especially in the big team, you know, you need to perform. And um, yeah, if you have a teammate like Max Stapper, <laughs> You're going to have a tough time anyway. Yeah, you have a very tough time. So uh, whoever they put in, uh, even they put a Perez in, or if they put a Hülkenberg in or whatsoever, uh, maybe those guys are a bit older and a bit more mature and they have more experience, then they can handle it better and they will catch him back on a different way. But I think everybody uh, yeah, will struggle next to Max. I can imagine, definitely. Um, you just touched upon the endurance racing where mm. you're with multiple people in the same car, for instance with Le Mans as well. Yeah. 
you have different setups. How are these setups being used? Like, is there a button just as a preset? You press this button, it goes to Guido van der Garde's preference, and then it goes to Nick de Vries, and then it goes to uh, Fritz van Heert. How does no. it work? No, with us, it, it endurance different because you need to find the setup whoever everybody's happy with. Uh, I mean, a setup just for the car. And, and in, if you jump in, uh, you have your settings on the steering wheel, like... Um, uh, uh, engine settings, braking settings, you have your, um, not ABS, but traction control settings. Sorry, I was looking for. And, um, so everybody prefers to have their own setting. For example, Fritz is having a bit more traction control. I have nearly no, no traction control. Nick has also nearly no traction control. I'm a bit more rearwards with the brake balance. He's a bit more forward with the brake balance. So those are the different tools you can choose inside the monocoque. Uh, but as a setup uh, before qualifying before the race is that's preferred to all three drivers and that's tough uh, because everybody has their own philosophy and their own thing uh, but first of all we look at the at the um, at the guy who is let's say uh, normally Fritz van Eert he needs to be happy with the car because if he's happy he is one and a half seconds quicker which is a lot and uh, if I'm happy or, or Nick is happy, which are the pros, maybe we are two to three tenths quicker. So I prefer that the gentleman is quicker uh, or happy with the car. So he's one and a half seconds quicker, one and a half seconds quicker over 24 hours. Well, you can do your counting. It's a lot, a lot of time. So that's always what we're looking for. And of, of course, we guide it through because we do some set and changes sometimes in free practice. And we see what's better and what's not better. And then we take it from there. And, uh, but in, in endurance, it's not easy because, as I said, it, it's um, yeah, three drivers and uh, you have to adapt sometimes. And that's uh, sometimes uh, it, it's in my favor and sometimes Nick DeVries favor, but most of the time is in favor of the gentleman and uh, that's Fritz. What do you like doing more, Formula One or endurance? Now endurance. Uh, of course, Formula One was a nice period. Um, it was very good times. I did it for three years. But now I'm 35 years old, I have a family, I have a young kid home, I have a lot of businesses home uh, to do, I'm very busy with that, so I'm not able to do Formula 1 anymore. I had it, I've done it, uh, I've seen it, and uh, no, I'm, I'm a very happy man at the moment, so uh, I would not go back to Formula 1. Sounds great. So how is longer term planning, for instance, going back to the Formula 1, how is longer term planning being conducted? Like. Mm -hmm. You have your improvement points that you want to uh, or want to work in two races time. But for instance, knowing Spa is very different than, for instance, Bahrain. How are you planning updates for those kind of tracks? How do you define uh, improvements and plan them? Mm, it depends. I mean, um, more or less you have like a couple of tracks like Monza and uh, Spa, Francorchamps, a little bit. You have like different wing settings because you have, uh, the straight line there is more important than corner speed. Uh, so you have like small updates for that tracks, but more or less all the other tracks are more or less similar. And you want to have your uh, optimized uh, downforce level. And the more downforce level you have, uh, with of course the drag and stuff like that, because that's another other topic which is very important. If that those two are correct. And you're able to break as late as possible uh, or, and, and you go through the corners as fast as possible then then you optimize yourself with the car and you see that with uh, with mercedes now i mean they're not only fast and straight but they are super quick in high speed corners as well and 
and medium speed car as well. And then low speed, if you look at Red Bull, maybe those are, that car is maybe a little bit better again as Mercedes. But you see still lap that wise that the Mercedes our cars are still between three to five tenths quicker than, than, the, than the Red Bull from Max. So yeah, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's not easy, but it's just putting everything together. And on the end, I think, yeah, the more downforce you have, the more grip you have, the better car you have, the better lap times you do. What does the future hold for Formula One? Because I'm really curious about your perspective. Maybe yeah. you have some insights outside of the budget gap and these regula- <laughs> regulatory changes in, in 2022. Mm. What do you think the future holds? I think it's a good future. I think with the rule changes, I think they will be very, very good. Um, I think the teams will hopefully come closer to each other, uh, especially with the, with the budget gap, because it will have much more perspective for the small teams. Uh, because then they have been working already on those budget caps and the big teams, they suddenly go from five, six hundred million back to 150 million. So it's not easy for them. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, um, for me, the, 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 what Formula One has been doing already couple, last couple of years, I think is very positive. What they've been doing with social media, with their whole channel of Formula One, um, I think it's much more open sport. Before it was very, very closed. You only had the TV, which you could see inside the paddock. Not a lot of people could come. Nowadays, much more. Of course, the COVID is a completely different story. But unfortunately, yes. Yeah, I mean that. That's sad. That that's uh, nothing we can do with, about that. But um, yeah, I think the the whole Formula One group. Um, I think they're doing a very, very good job, and it's getting better and more entertainment as well. And I think we need to have that rule change because you need to mix up some uh, some things because otherwise it will always be Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes and uh, as a Dutch guy you always want to have a, a Dutch guy to win and definitely uh, we want Max to Max win that win. title so um, yeah we'll, we'll see what happens it's still uh, uh, still a bit of a long way to go but uh, one, year, one year to go do you think that has a lot to do as well with the more American management style compared to Bernie Ecclestone who was yeah, sure. relatively uh, how do you put it in a nice way conservative yeah I think Bernie of course he did his way um, he made a very a very good fortune out of it um, I think what he did with the sport I think is big respect because he made it from sports from nothing to very very big but of course the whole different philosophy that the Americans had and have um, I think it's good because it's much more open sport and people start to, to understand it now much better and uh, you can you can nearly touch it and that's what you want you know you want to be close to it and before that you never could be closer it was always far far away uh, so that that's quite a big difference and I think that's uh, only positive because it feels to me from my side as a, as a viewer it's more responsive now like they're trying different things and the yeah. same with for instance DRS or the other uh, formats to make it quicker or to be, make overtaking easier yeah. they try stuff and then they remove it and they, they're doing the same thing with for instance the graphics in in, in the uh, uh, in the TV format and the social media platform mm-hmm. what's the impact of it for you as a driver because I can imagine it has some form of closure when it's a relatively closed circus like what Bernie Ecclestone did yeah. but this has a different different way of approach to it because Lando Norris for instance he's really engaged with social media yeah. YouTube and uh, you yourself are quite active on Instagram and these things um, which I can highly recommend following 
because I really enjoy the jokes, <laughs> especially the man and other month. Yeah. Um, what What's your view on this? Um, I think it's good. I mean, the younger younger group of people are also starting to watch it now because eh, the people, also the fans of Lando Norris, Max Verstappen, they are also young kids and they they are grown up with all the social media thing. And the younger guys like like Lewis, of course, he's doing quite well with the social media. Maybe he's a bit over the top now with all the things he's doing, but that's another topic. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's good what what they have been doing so far, and especially the the, the, the young guys. Um, and it's good to have interaction with the fans and they, to get them close to understand what's happening. And I think it's it's very positive for the for the whole sports, but. Uh, I mean, yeah, everywhere you see it, not only Formula One, it's much more. You see now, following Ajax is a team I really like, it's a football team. And to be honest, I think it's uh, what they've been doing also with social media. It's also the next step and, and you see more teams are doing that. So it's also a bit of marketing uh, to have the name up, to, to know who you are, uh, to be, have a bit of fun uh, online and, um, and the entertainment. Because in the end, if you have good entertainment, people like it. As a Formula One driver, you are you have to be engaged as well with uh, marketing these kind of things. What could you tell us about how marketing as a driver is being handled in Formula One? For us, it was um, yeah, we were quite busy. Yeah. I mean, it's it's different in different sports. Then uh, we always had an event on Wednesday or on Thursday on track on track or off track uh, with sponsors. Um, so that was quite busy cost you already two to three hours we were busy with uh, the people there making photographs have a nice story about what's going to happen during the Formula 1 weekend and so on and so on so that was quite busy um, of course we need to do that because we need to have our sponsors the sponsors need to be happy because they put all the money in so that that's important thing um, but it's also different I mean for, for, for example for the race we drive to the grid we jump out all the media people are just on the grid to have a chat with the drivers, which is unusual for football players, for any other sports whatsoever. No, but I don't know any other sports who's having that. And uh, that's quite special because uh, three minutes later, you have to put your helmet back on, jump in the car, have a warm-up lap and do the start. Uh, but of course, we know that it's like this. And I quite like it. Always have a, was a bit of relaxation uh, before the start. Uh, but if you if you look at another sport, then nobody does it. So it's quite uh, yeah special, let's say. Because yeah, you can imagine there can be when you're trying to get in your zone. Like for instance, Ricardo is really well doing. At least you see him do him quite often before the race. Really taking mm-hmm. his head down, listening to his music. I can imagine it takes you out of your your zone as well. Yeah, or people do sure. just rigor- rigorously hate it, like Raikkonen, who mm-hmm. says, yeah, "Me, don't want to do it." Mm-hmm. I can. How is this taking you out of your? I don't. I didn't mind. I was. I uh, was making fun, making jokes, uh, fooling around, and then once I put my helmet on, I was in the zone. And some people they need to have a, uh, yeah, maybe more here for him time for himself. And other people they are like, I don't. I don't mind. Just put the helmet on and uh, get on with it. You know. No. Last question: Who's going to win the championship, Hamilton or Bottas? Hamilton, of course. Did he did he take the best out of Bottas? Is he going to be the perpetual number two? Bottas is a very good number two, um, but Lewis is, is the better one. I mean, uh, already for a couple of years now, for me, Lewis is going to be uh, yeah one of the biggest drivers ever. 
I grown up. I grew up with him. I was 13 when I first raced against him until Formula One until 30. Then I stopped. He continued. But uh, no, he was. It, it, yeah, he's a very very good driver. He's a nice guy. He knows what he's doing. Uh, has the experience. Uh, know how to win titles. So yeah, I think after next year he will be the the biggest ever. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, he has the. He has the, all the all the you know. For me, it, it's it's nice to see him still be up there, and he'll still be competing and uh, be on his best. It looks like the older he gets, the better he gets. It's crazy because some people uh, they have like three four years on top, and then they have one year struggling, like football players or whatsoever. But him is always there, always on top. Of course, we saw some mistakes this year, which is normally we didn't saw with Lewis, but. Yeah, he's a good driver. Very Still, good driver. overall, he's very consistent. You kind of took me with one real last question. You've been racing against him prior to Formula One. Mm. Is it hard for you to see or for anyone to see that someone like him, who who you've been competing with on a more equal level, mm. now in Formula One is having so much success? Like, for instance, now Albon and, and Russell and these mm. guys were having... They're in different classes, Leclerc in Ferrari, Albon in, in Red Bull, and then Russell all the way down in the, in the Williams. How hard is it to compare? Yeah, it's tough, especially in the first year in Formula 1. I remember when I jumped in and uh, after 25 laps, uh, Vettel was uh, passing me by with blue flags. And uh, three years before, we were teammates in Formula 3 and I was beating him a couple of times. That's that's hard, but that's also Formula One. It's a ninety percent car and ten percent driver. Maybe even more car than driver, but it's it, that that's but that's the rules in Formula One. I mean, Russell, of course, I think he's a very very good driver, but he will get his shot. I mean, uh, he he is, he has the uh, I think one of the top drivers um, inside Formula One who has a big shot becoming a world champion will be Max, will be Russell, will be Leclerc. Those are, for me, the top three to win the championship uh, the next couple, couple of uh, 10 years after Lewis stopped. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, that's a bit of Formula One. And of course, uh, when, when I was racing in go-karts go or Formula cars, I was beating Lewis as well. But it looked like the faster the cars went, the better he went as well. So uh, it's nice to see. Guido van der Gerde, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. I would like to thank our guest and you, the listener, for joining us today in this beautiful series of podcasts. Now, as I mentioned, this is a series, so please stay tuned for the next one. If you have any comments, suggestions, feedback, questions, feel free to reach out to me via LinkedIn, via agilitymasters.com, via the website of masteringagility.org, or my email, whatever you want to do. Just feel free to reach out. Make sure to listen to the next one as well. See you then.